All right, welcome back everyone to Didactic Mind, episode 67, The Robots of Dawn. Uh, very warm welcome, as always, to all of my long-time readers from the site, didacticmind.com. Very warm welcome to all of my Podbean subscribers. If you are not subscribed already, please make sure you hit that subscribe button. That way you shall never miss a new upload or episode. Coming to you, uh, well, not live exactly, but uh, in, in a fashion, um, fresh squeezed from uh, ye olde pommy bastard land, uh, as I like to call it. Uh, I am currently in the UK, uh, which is not surprising. I've been here for a while now, about uh, a little over, uh, just a little over a month, actually. Um, it's not my first time here. Uh, I've, I've spent quite a lot of time in the UK, and uh, both living and working. Um, I've, I've worked here back in 2005, and, uh, sorry, I studied here back in, uh, you know, early to, early to mid-2000s. And then I uh, worked here f uh, for a spell in 2015. In London, though, entirely in London. I'm not in London right now. And uh, I won't say where I am, but uh, let's just say it's interesting being back. Especially during the time of the coof, because uh, of all of the nonsense surrounding it. Um, I do wonder whether... Uh, we will ever see any kind of return to normalcy, sanity, sense, um, basic human decency anytime soon. Uh, all of the signs point to increasingly negative uh, outlook for much of the Western world that has fallen for this ridiculous narrative that uh, we all need to be utterly terrified of a disease that actually isn't particularly dangerous to most of us. Um, it is quite dangerous, admittedly, to um, people in the 70-plus age range, and uh, that's not good. I mean, certainly it's not, uh, it's not good that such people will be badly affected by a dangerous disease, but it also doesn't mean that we need to shut down the rest of the world simply to preserve the lives of people much older than us. Um, uh, you can see the the devastation wrought upon the economy just walking around on the streets, which I am finally able to do and have been able to do for about uh, about a month now. Uh, finally got out of that stupid self-isolation quarantine nonsense and was able to walk about for a bit and uh, see the streets of the city that I am in right now. Um, but, you know, there's no question things are looking rather bleak and dark and scary for a lot of people right now. But um, that's not really why I make these podcasts. I don't, uh, I don't um, spend an hour rambling on about whatever's on my mind just to scare the pants off people, because that's ridiculous. Um, in my view, it's a much better idea to look at what is to come. And I do believe that as dark as the future looks, as bleak as it looks, there are some very intriguing possibilities out there. And uh, before I get to those possibilities, I want to remind you that even though there is hope in the world, there is plenty of reason to be optimistic and hopeful. You need to understand that right now, at this particular moment in time, you are a commodity. You are regarded as a customer, or not even a customer, a product by big tech. 
And if you don't do exactly what big tech wants you to do, if you don't think the way they want you to think, they will do their utmost to destroy you. And that's not an exaggeration. That's not anything new. And this is this directly, this point about big tech links directly to what I'm going to talk about for the rest of this podcast. But big tech truly believe themselves to be your masters. They truly think that they are enlightened and wise and smart enough to tell you how to live and where to go and what to think. And the moment you deviate from what they believe is right for you, they will do everything in their power to destroy you, as they have done with countless people already. They have already attempted to deplatform and impoverish people who took part in the storming of the hill on January the 6th. They already are crafting the narrative that his most illustrious, noble, august, benevolent, and legendary celestial majesty, the god-emperor of mankind, Donaldus Triumphus Magnus Astra, the first of his name, the Lion of Midnight, the Chaddest of Chads, incited the mob to overthrow the government. I mean, the idea is so patently ridiculous on its face, you have to drink some seriously spiked Kool-Aid just to believe it. But that's what they do down in Silicon Valley and in New York City. That's how they think in London as well, where a lot of the big tech giants have some of their um, big offices. They honestly believe that a mob of mostly unarmed, quite generally quite peaceful people were interested in overthrowing the government and were capable of doing it. That's ridiculous. That's nonsense. You don't overthrow a government based on um, essentially a Chewbacca guy, <laughs> more or less, with Viking horns um, and uh, an American flag painted on his face, walking in and pounding on the lectern of the Speaker of the House. It doesn't happen. It's not going to happen at all. Uh, an overthrow of a government takes place using force and violence, and that's exactly what we didn't see on uh, January 6th. Nonetheless, those people are now under investigation. Bank of America has essentially released records, data, to the feds, to the FBI, of anyone who booked a flight or a motel or an Airbnb with a Bank of America debit or credit card um, to Washington, D.C. on that day. This is illegal. This is a direct violation of the Constitution. Now, if you're still naive and stupid enough to believe that the Constitution, something as archaic and quaint as the Constitution, still applies in the United States, you really need to check into the nearest sanitarium because you're stark staring mad. The Constitution no longer applies in the United States. And you have to understand where someone like me is coming from when I say that. You will not find a more strict constitutionalist than me. As far as I am concerned, the Constitution means exactly what it says on the paper. There is not any room whatsoever for reinterpretation or... Um, creative imagination or emanations and penumbras, none of that bullshit applies. The Constitution means what it says, and there is no room, no wiggle room whatsoever, until and unless you pass a law that says, you know, the Constitution actually means something else. Until you pass a law through the correct channels, it doesn't apply. The General Welfare Clause means for the general welfare of the states. It does not mean that you can do whatever you want with taxes. The Commerce Clause means that tariffs between the states are not supposed to be 
erected and that free trade and commerce between the various states is enforceable by Congress. It does not mean that you can put in huge amounts of regulations uh, determining the minutiae of every possible movement of goods between the states. It doesn't apply. So if you believe, like me, that the Constitution still applies, or rather that the Constitution is a valid construct, but you understand that the Constitution no longer actually holds as force of law in the United States, and if you understand and believe that big tech is evil and wants you destroyed, then you need a way to fight back. That way to fight back is a VPN, a virtual private network. Uh, make sure that you get your hands on one. If you, I mean, I've conducted this experiment a few times by now. Uh, let me let me do it again for you. I'm going to give you my actual, really for real, IP address at the exact moment of this recording. Okay, my exact IP address right now is 165.231.33.212. Okay, I'll say it again. 165.231.33.212. You should be able, if you know what you're doing, to trace where I am at this very instance. You just go to trace-ip.org and you will be able to see, you, you will be able to discover for yourself where that IP address leads. And it will be somewhere in London or somewhere near London. Except I'm not anywhere near London at all. You have no idea where I am, and you're not going to. You're not about. You're not bloody well about to find out. So, um, that is the power of a VPN. It means that someone cannot really find you very easily. Among other things, it means someone cannot find you, and track your uh, internet history and track your um, your the, the the websites that you've gone through and the uh, the things that you've seen, the places that you visited. And that's a very powerful tool. Your identity is your lifeline. Protect it for all it's worth. Get yourself a copy or a subscription to Surfshark for a massive 81% off right now. That will get you two-year subscription to Surfshark, which in my opinion is the best value VPN around, for about $2.49 a month. Now that's less than a cup of bad Starbucks coffee, which of course tastes like it was filtered through a hobo's kidneys before it got to you in your cup. And I'm using very polite language there, believe me. So, on to um, the, the topic of uh, today's, or tonight's podcast, and it is related to big tech. Um, it's about robots. Uh, specifically, it's about a book by one Gary L. M. Martin called How to Build the Perfect Robot Lover. I just finished it uh, today, actually, or maybe last night. Technically today, because I was up until 1 a.m. pretty much uh, fretting over various things. I'll, I might talk about them later, but um, basically I had a lot on my mind and I was reading a book and uh, this book, uh, you know, I've been reading it for a while. Now, uh, those of you who read my site know that I'm actually a big fan of Gary Martin's um, work. I've read many of his books before. I've read most of them, actually. Not all, but most of them. Some of them are a bit hit or miss. Um, I didn't much like uh, the greatest uh, sci-fi film ever made, or what it was called. Um, I thought the accents that he tried to write in were ridiculous. Um, Emperor of Destruction is... It's... Okay, it's not a bad book at all. It's not bad. It's just... It's hard to get through. Because it's just so full of nihilism and grinding evil and just horrific scenes of 
nastiness. Done with kind of a comic twist, yes. I mean, there's no doubt there's this, this kind of a playful comic twist going on. But it's just so full of wickedness and evil and horror that, you know, you, you almost want to stop reading after a while. Which, by the way, is the point. I mean, Mr. Martin made it a point to write a book similar to the style of George Ray Prate Martin. It's in, in the, the latter books of the A Song of Ice and Fire series. His latest book, however, is very, very good. Um, not as good as, let's say, A Journey to the Year One Billion, or Starship Gods, or uh, The Loneliest Man Who Ever Lived, which I liked a lot. Those three books, I, say, I would say, are three of the best ones that he's ever written, and I highly recommend them. Um, but this book is, is all about what happens when humanity creates artificial sex robots. And, you know, let's not disguise things at all. The book is full of sex and robots, okay? That's the basic premise. You would think it would be a very juvenile and stupid book, but that's not the true. What makes Gary Martin interesting is that his writing is very easy to read. His writing style is honestly almost a little juvenile, and I don't mean that as an insult. I mean, I know Gary Martin actually um, checks up on my site from time to time. Uh, I know because I've corresponded with him. And, um, you know, if he, on the off chance, he ends up listening to this podcast, I'm not saying it's bad writing. I'm saying that it's very almost kind of dumbed down in the sense that it's written in language that a 10-year-old could understand, mostly. I mean, other than the sex scenes, obviously, but you get my point. Um, and yet, he has this rare talent of taking very big ideas and putting a new spin on them, which I really like. That's the reason why I like his books, is because he's got this incredible imagination, and he puts together ideas and stories and narratives and characters in ways that are really fascinating. You know, his writing isn't perfect. I mean, some of the, some of the stuff that he writes, it just goes on and on, and some of the characters appear in one section and disappear completely in another, and you, you never find out why certain characters did what they did. Um, in the book I just mentioned, uh, How to Build a Perfect Lo Robot Lover, there's a, a, a robot named Hans who is very clearly, I mean, uh, a, a, a piss take on uh, Arnold, uh, on Arnold Schwarzenegger um, with the old, I'll be back, and all that sort of thing. Um, it's it very clearly, I mean, you know, he even uses Arnold's um, likeness from way back when, from like the days of, you know, before the Terminator, from the days of like, Conan the Barbarian, almost that era, on the front cover of the book. Um, I don't know if he's allowed to do that, but maybe he is, I don't know. Um, but anyway, th there's a character that named Hans who features prominently for much of the book, and then suddenly, you know, in the last third of the book, he just disappears for no reason whatsoever. I, like, I don't even get it. Um, that's, a, that's a pretty typical example. But the theme that he's trying to explore is what happens... When humanity finally succeeds in creating sex robots that can successfully emulate and simulate artificial or um, human emotions, that can give you the experience of a real relationship, a loving, caring relationship, 
that can give you all of the positives of an amazing, you know, perfect relationship with the perfect man or the perfect woman in your dreams without any of the downsides. Now, I've written about this many times over the past five, six years about what would happen if sex robots actually became real. Not because, you know, not out of any perverted or morbid interest, but because this is, this is real. This is happening right now. Okay. Um, if you, if you listen to the Troublesome Truths podcast, I think episode two, <laughs> Kyle Trouble and I actually discussed this. My buddy Kyle and I were talking about this, uh, some time ago. And he and I were both talking about what would happen to society if sex robots got to the point where not only are they sort of, um, shall we say, physically functional and physically complete, but can mimic human emotions. What happens to things like marriage rates, birth rates, um, male-female interactions? What happens to power dynamics between men and women? What happens to society? And Gary Martin actually tackles a lot of these ideas. He starts with the, the, the premise um, in Isaac Asimov's uh, Robots series, you know, iRobot, the Robots of Dawn, um, and something else, I, I forget what the other one is called, um, which sort of leaked over into his Foundation series and so on. Um, Isaac Asimov, I, Gary Martin considers Isaac Asimov to be a wildly overrated writer, I agree with him completely about this. He's absolutely correct. Um, Isaac Asimov was wildly overrated, and the fact is that um, he was a he was also a massive gamma. Uh, if you look at some of the satires <laughs> that have been written by supposedly inferior authors, if you look at uh, uh, Johann Kalsi and you know quote unquote Johann Kalsi and Corro- uh, corrosion the corroding empire. Um, which was, I mean, it was, it was a complete piss take. It, it, the, the novel was written as a complete piss take on Isaac Asimov's, um, robots, uh, sorry, on a foundation, uh, novel about, you know, what would happen if this great algorithm controlling the whole of the human future suddenly broke down completely and, and so on and so forth. Um, it, it, the thing is that, Vox Day, you know, our beloved and dreaded Supreme Dark Lord, Vox Day, peace be unto him, uh, published that book through his um, publishing house, Castalia House, as a direct response to uh, Jonathan Scalzi, um, another giant gamma, who was paid a massive amount of money by Tor Books to come up with uh, his own sort of um, remix on Isaac Asimov's Foundation series. And the result was a decidedly inferior novel. Um, uh, Scalzi's book was, uh, I think, uh, what was it called? I forget. Um, not not corrosion. It was uh, something else. Uh, any, anyway, it was it was a it was quite a bad book. I remember taking a picture of it in a bookstore outside of San Antonio, and it was, it was like a month after the book had been released. It was already a thirty percent off. That uh, that tells you just how. Um, just how bad it was. Um, the Collapsing Empire, that's it. It was called The Collapsing Empire. And it was it was quite a bad book, from everything I've heard. Wildly overrated, as the author was himself. Um, the point that Gary Martin tries to make in 
how to build a better robot lover is that if we play around with robots the way we're doing right now, we're probably playing with forces we don't fully understand. Because in the book, two robots become basically self-aware, sentient, capable of feeling true human emotion. They are capable then of writing and generating code within themselves spontaneously um, that nothing can erase, nothing can change. They, they become capable of conscious thought and action and true emotions like love and sadness and joy and misery and loneliness and so on. Um, robots in this book become psychotic. They, they become, uh, they, they, they go out of control. There are three laws of robotics similar, I mean, exactly the same as, as what you find in Asimov's work. Um, but those three laws are self-contradictory. Again, just like they were in Asimov's work. Here, however, they're taken to a much more, uh, wild extreme. And human behavior is kind of put under the microscope, and you see how ugly and stupid and depraved human behavior can become when set free of some of the moral constraints that we used to have. And towards the end of the book, uh, you understand that the net effect of unleashing this rapid technological change upon society is a complete collapse in birth rates. Um, men and women simply lose interest in procreation. Because what happens when you have a true replicant of human consciousness? And this is not a new question. This is something that the best minds in science fiction have wrestled with for 50 years. I mean, we're talking about, you know, Blade Runner, the movie, which in turn was based on a book, or a, actually not even a book, a short story by Philip K. Dick called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, uh, to the Robot series by Asimov, um, to any number of, of, you know, uh, artificial intelligence becoming self-aware, becoming alive, and so on, themes that have, um, gone on throughout all of literature, like going way back, probably over a century in some cases. What happens when we go too far, when we we try to create true intelligence, uh, robotic intelligence, unconstrained, uncontrolled by a human mind? What happens then? Kyle Trouble and I talked about this in our podcast. I've written about it a number of times. Let's take it step by step. The first step, which we've already come to is to create lifelike sex robots, which um, basically, you know, obviously it's very much a male-oriented market, but essentially we're talking about robots that look, act, and feel like women, real women. Now, I'm not going to go into details because you can go look it up for yourself, and trust me, it's hilarious. Um, there's a, there's a post on my, on my site somewhere about this in which, uh, the real dolls, um, website, which I think is based in Sweden, will sell you a, shall we say, very, very, very lifelike robot. Um, the uncanny valley is still there in, in the face. I mean, you look at the eyes and like, whoa, that's, that's weird. But f for all intents and purposes, it looks like a real woman otherwise. 
And not just a real woman, but one of the most beautiful women you've ever seen. Now, put yourself in the shoes of a modern man. I mean, you probably are one, in fact. In the Western world, put your, if you are one, you'll understand exactly what I'm saying. Let's say you're a young man in his mid-20s to mid-30s. You're moderately successful in your career. You're up and coming. You know, you have some savings and you're building up in life and you're doing well for yourself. Your career is on an upward trajectory. You haven't made the kind of stupid mistakes that I myself have made as your, uh, your, your very, very heavy, very humble servant, the didact. You haven't made those kinds of idiotic mistakes that have landed you in soup so many times that you've lost every job you've ever had and you had to start over almost from scratch. You haven't made those mistakes, okay? So you've done everything right, went to the right school, you got the right job, you have uh, your own apartment, you have a nice car or a reasonably nice car, you have nice things, you have interesting hobbies, you've traveled a little bit, you've seen the world, you understand something about the way the world works, you're awakened to the nature of men and women, you understand that the blue pill is lies, and yet you still struggle. Every single time you go out on a date with a woman, it's like you're just dealing with the most obtusely stupid ball of neuroses and uh, pop culture trivia. You're dealing with someone who wants the best, expects the best, uh, but is not herself a high-quality person. She's coarse, she's loudmouthed, she's obscene, she's impolite, she doesn't dress up, she doesn't take care of herself. She's not interested in looking after herself. She's more interested in her career than in having a family. Um, she believes in complete equality. She, she has no real opinions of her own formed through, through reflection and reading, but only goes with what the mob wants. She only cares about what's uh, the latest fad on reality TV or what the latest fashions are on the high street, or whatever the equivalent is in the US now. This is the kind of woman that many of us have to deal with. And the problem is, it's most of the women out there. That's, you, th you might think I'm exaggerating if you've never heard my content or read it before. You might think I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. This is what it's like in most Western cities. This is what it's like. It's, it's miserable. It's horrible. These are women who don't go to church. They don't take good care of themselves. They're not interested in uh, going to the gym unless it's for cosmetic purposes. Uh, they don't dress up well. They spend most of their time taking a billion selfies of themselves to post on Instagram. They, they constantly take pictures of their food just to show off to their friends. They have nothing going on in their lives for themselves. In, in fact, you want a good example of a woman that I'm like, like the one I'm talking about? Go look up, um, what's her name? Um, Balls. I, I'm completely drawing a blank on her name. Uh, uh, Tommy Lauren? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, Tommy Lauren. Uh, L-A-H-R-E-N. I, um, I wrote about her on my site um, a while back. She got incredibly buttered and salty and angry um, because uh, something happened in her personal life. Nobody really knows exactly what. But she just put on this rant on Instagram or Facebook where she went on and on for about 20 minutes about guys who have nothing going on in their lives and she and her friends all have lots going on in their lives and they can't find a good man. And every everybody of a conservative persuasion who watched that was like, <laughs> woman, 
the men aren't the problem. You are. You're the problem. Is because you put your career and your well-being ahead of your man's career and well-being. And you believe that you are the prize. You're not the prize. The man is the prize. And the men who are treated so badly just find themselves thinking, we don't want this anymore. We, we check out. I felt, you know, this is, this is exactly where I was not too long ago. I mean, a few years ago, I was at the point where I was like, I, you know, I would rather take a cheese grater to my forehead than go on a date with a Western woman. That's how bad it was. And then I met this uh, woman from Ukraine. Uh, she came over to the States for a visit, and uh, she was actually working in the same company as me at the time. And, I mean, wow. You know, I was like, holy crap. This is, this is what women are like. They're, they're caring, and they're gentle, and they're sweet, and they're loving, and they make you feel good to be around them. They dress well. They take care of themselves. They are cultured. They are refined. They are well-educated, but not in a way that makes them bitchy. I mean, the, the woman that I was talking to, she was better educated than me. She had a master's degree in, uh, in computer science and could very easily have gotten her PhD if she wanted to. Um, she had, she was older than me, actually. She had years of experience in, uh, the computing field as a proper computer programmer. I mean, she actually understood computer program, programming languages. I was a better programmer than her, uh, cause she was a specialist in, um, testing rather than actual programming. And, uh, if you know, <laughs> If you know anything about developers, you know that developers look at programmers, I mean, uh, at, 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 at testers, the way that mothers look at toddlers trying to fit, you know, um, brightly colored blocks into the, the correct uh, sort of spaces on a, on, a, on a board. Yes, you're about to put the rectangular block in the rectangular slot and the, the circular block in the circular slot. And oh, no, why did you put the triangular block in that slot? That's not where it goes. That's how developers think of, of testers. Honestly, that's really how they do. Um, but this woman was really just such a breath of fresh air. And that's, I mean, that's how I got my Eastern European fixation. I've never, ever gone off it since, uh, as anyone who watches my, or looks at my Friday TNA series can attest. This is what it's like to be with a beautiful woman from a culture that values male-female relationships. But that's not the West. So now put yourself in those shoes and imagine what it's like dating in the West. It's horrible. It's miserable. It's awful. It's shoulder sagging. Most guys don't want to go through it. It's Guys just end up running after trashier and trashier women who, you know, they don't, they aren't worth it. And so many of us guys are just checking out and saying, you know what, we don't want anything to do with this anymore. We'd rather be by ourselves. We'd rather keep our money and keep our happiness and go out on bike rides or shoot guns or lift weights in the gym and date casually, have sex casually, and just generally be free. Now, that's not a Christian way of looking at things, but you know what? I understand it. I understand why people, why guys decide to go MGTOW, why they decide to go their own way and say, I don't want to put up with this crap anymore. Now, bring in sex robots. Bring in women, or robots that are very good, reasonable facsimiles of women, who, let's see, uh, never leave bad smells in the toilet, never have periods, never claim to have a headache, never say no, 
are always sweet, are always kind, are always feminine, always look fantastic, always put out, always are happy to see you, always are ready to go, always enjoy themselves, always uh, make you feel like a man when you're around them, can cook, can clean, don't require much maintenance, don't require expensive jewelry all the time, don't require lots of attention and time and effort lavished upon them, don't need to be praised all the time to boost their self-esteem, don't have crying psychotic rage fits, don't require you to meet their mothers, don't require you to, you know, spend lots of time with them doing stuff that you couldn't care less about, and on and on and on, right? All the things that you think are bad about Western women, take that, wrap it up in a bundle, and throw it away. All the things that are great about Eastern European women, take that, wrap it up in a bundle, and then multiply it by a hundred. And that's what you've got in the form of a sentient sex robot or a near-sentient sex robot. What happens then? What happens then? I mean, the, the question answers itself. Most men will simply say, you know what? Screw this. I'm not dating women anymore. I'm going to have my very own gorgeous, always on, always lubricated, always ready for it um, copy of uh, look, I, I'm completely out of touch with pop culture, so I have no idea who the latest it girl is, so, you know, pick a random hot Instagram model. Who's the hottest Instagram model? You know what, um, Victoria Lane. Uh, she featured in uh, the Friday TNA section not too long ago, and she's gorgeous. Imagine a copy of that waiting for you in your closet when you get home ready and willing to do whatever you want. That's what most guys are going to choose. Now imagine what that's going to do to the power dynamic between men and women. See, here's another basic truth about men and women. Women control sex. Men control commitment. It's that simple. And it comes down to an even simpler fact of life. Sperm is cheap. Eggs are expensive. In other words, men are disposable, women are perishable. What does that mean? If you take, and I've used this example many times before, but it's absolutely true. If you take a village of 50 men, 50 women, complete parity between the sexes in terms of numbers. Let's say 40 of the men die and all 50 women live for whatever reason, natural disaster, disease, a special disease that only, you know, affects men, um, war with another tribe, whatever. So essentially, 80% of the men die and 100% of the women live. What do you suppose is going to happen? Within about three generations, that tribe's going to be just fine. In fact, they'll be more populous and prosperous than ever. And the guys, the 10 guys who are left, are going to have a great time. They're going to have a lot of fun repopulating things. Now, turn the situation on its head. Suppose 80% of the women die and 100% of the men live. What do you think is going to happen? Within a single generation, that tribe will be dead. Gone. Why? Because competition for sex among men drives human progress. That's just a fact. That's what we do. Everything we do ultimately comes down to sex and death. I mean, that's like the whole of 
human literature and human progress encapsulated in one secular idea. It's all about sex and death. That's it. Everything we do as men is to leave a legacy, either in the form of great deeds and works that will be remembered throughout all of time, or in the form of a genetic legacy through children who will carry on our name and our genetics. That's our primary drive, to pass on our seed, our code, our genetic legacy. Without women to do that, we're screwed. We can't do anything. So what happens when women suddenly lose all of their power to attract and keep men? Well, for one thing, the human race suffers and dies. I mean, if you look at birth rates around the world, um, the birth rate below which, or the, the, the total fertility rate below which no civilization has ever come back, is it's sort of the event horizon TFR, is 1.6 um, children per woman. Um, in, if you look at a population pyramid, if you look at a healthy population pyramid, lots of, lots of uh, young people, and then narrowing into a relatively smaller number of middle-aged people, and really narrow at the top, not too many old people. That's a healthy, growing population. That's what most societies are like in the early stages of um, technological progress. Um, if you look at most of the Western world, that's like that's that's what uh, the Western world was like after World War II. In fact. Um, very healthy, growing populations during the baby boom, and um, you know, four or five, or sometimes eight children per family. Um, one man earning enough money for all of the children. One woman staying at home, raising up the entire family, and it it, it basically worked. I mean, it was a model that made sense. It worked. It was effective. Uh, it generated a lot of positive outcomes. The baby boomer generation, as a whole. You know, my generation doesn't like them too much, and with good reason. Uh, I'm not saying I hate boomers personally. My my parents are baby boomers, or from that generation. I don't, you know, I don't have anything against my parents, uh, but their generation definitely did a lot of things wrong. Um, and I've said that to them. I've, I've stated very plainly. I I hold them blameless because they did all all the things right, but their generation as a whole exhibited a level of narcissism and selfishness that is truly staggering by historical standards. And it's left the Gen Xers and the Shrillennials, and you know, I'm not saying this uh, as someone who particularly likes Millennials, I don't, I can't stand Millennials, but I'm saying this as somebody who sympathizes with their plight. Um, they really screwed over younger generations. But the baby boomers were the product of a world in which a TFR of like three or four or five was normal. The Gen Xers came about in a world where a TFR of about 2.2 was normal. Now 2.2 is the TFR of a world or a, a, a society that where the, the, the population column exists. It's not a pyramid anymore, it's just a column where you no longer have a growing population, you just have a stable, stagnant population. Now that is the hallmark of a population that has ceased to have confidence in itself. It's no longer capable of defending itself, either from 
military attacks from the outside or from cultural war from within. Here's a basic reality, a basic truth of human nature. War is part of our existence. Conflict is part of everything around us. Conflict is the air we breathe. It is the water we drink. It is the ground that we walk on. It is everything. Conflict with everything around us is normal. And when you have a growing population, you can reduce a lot of the impact of conflict very easily. It's possible to mitigate the negative effects of conflict. Whether it's physical conflict or psychological or economic, you can reduce or mitigate a lot of the impact simply because you don't have the energy to worry about yourself too much. You just have a mission to get on with. You have to take care of your family. You have to take care of your society. You don't have the leisure to sit back and worry about yourself. I mean, if I ever have kids, then, you know, these podcasts may well go away because I won't have time to sit there and sit here and ramble for an hour. I'll be busy running after children and trying to put them to bed. You know, and that's good. That's a, that's a very good thing, by the way. Um, the fact that we are no longer capable of standing up for ourselves means that if you would just have a column, it's much easier for somebody else or something else to come over and knock it down. That's just a fact. You want to knock down a pyramid, that's a hell of a lot harder than knocking down a column. That's where you have 2.2 children per woman. Now, why 2.2? Well, one, you have, you know, one father and one mother, and then you have one son and one daughter, and the 0.2 belong to Darwin. These are the, the idiots who eat Tide Pods and, die, I don't know, um, What's another stupid Facebook challenge? Jump jump off cliffs? I, I, dude, I don't know. I, I don't, again, I don't keep up with pop culture, so I don't know this stuff. But take whatever, oh, the, the, the fire challenge on Facebook, whatever that was. Basically, they belong to Darwin. They belong to um, the pool of morons that teach the rest of us what not to do. You know, people like me, basically, um, belong in that pool. Um, but <laughs> the, the bit of the gene pool that really, really, really needs a lifeguard, right? To, to yank people out and say, no, nah, nah, don't go, you can't swim in that, in, in, in that end of the pool. Um, so when you have a situation like that, where, you know, people just lose interest in having big families because they can't have big families anymore. It's too expensive economically and psychologically to do that then you have a society ripe for destruction. And that's a society where sex bots become viable all of a sudden. They, not only do they become viable, they probably will become inevitable. They will become, they will get to the point where normal male-female relations probably be impossible. And that's when you get the inversion. That's when you get to the 1.6 TFR. A society where you have less than 2.2 children per woman is slowly shrinking. It's going to shrink over time. But societies that have had this problem in the past, where you've had less than two women per uh, children per women, uh, children per woman, excuse me, have survived. They've they've been able to pull out of that tailspin. Russia has tried it and actually it succeeded for a while. 
managed to bump its birth rate up uh, a little bit. It was hovering around that 1.6 area, that, that, that death spiral zone. Um, but it managed to pull out of that and it managed to do so with considerable effort. I mean, a lot of government subsidies, a lot of, um, retooling of their social engineering to make motherhood more attractive and, and, and careers and jobs and education less attractive. And that's a good thing. Um, societally speaking, it's a very good thing. Russia has run into some problems of late, but that hasn't stopped the other Eastern European countries from doing the same thing. Like Hungary, for instance, is apparently experiencing something of a mini baby boom because they're now paying um, women to have kids and stay away from school. They're giving them tax breaks and subsidies. But it's a very perilous area to be in when you're between that 1.6 and 2.2 TFR. Very dangerous. When you get down to 1.6, the moment you hit 1.6 and start going down, there's no coming back. No society in history has ever come back from a 1.6 TFR, ever. Never happened. Once you reach that point, it's the demographic event horizon. And that's what happens when a society starts to die. If you look around the world right now, you're looking at Japan, Singapore, China, uh, and a few others that are at this point where women are only really having one child. That's about it. China's been that way for decades. Um, Singapore's been that way for a while. Um, other Eastern, Euro Eastern Asian societies have been that way for a long time. And they're shrinking. They will shrink. There's, there's simply no getting past that fact. If you look at China, What's going to happen to China over the next 40 years? Right now, China has 400 million very poor people. Actually, more than that. It has about 600 million very poor people. In 20 years' time, it's going to have 400 million very old people out of a population of 1.4 billion. That is not sustainable. And those old people will be followed by even more old people who will be followed by even more old people who will have progressively fewer and fewer and fewer people to support them as they age. That is an inverted pyramid. It's a pyramid that stands on its nose. If you want to tip that over, all you have to do is flick it with your finger and it will collapse instantly. You're going to see, if you've ever tried building Jenga uh, pyramids, you know how difficult this is. Uh, and the moment you have this problem, you might as well just, you know, Stick a fork in that society. It's done. Imagine what's going to happen. I mean, it, this is already happening in a number of societies around the world. Imagine what's going to happen when you bring artificial sex robots into the mix who can do everything that human women or human men can do without any of the hang-ups, without any of the drawbacks. And they're physically perfect in the ways that their clients want them to be. They, you know, Im imagine the most gorgeous, beautiful Russian supermodel that you can think of, right? Uh, Ekaterina Yanokayeva, um, is my personal example because she's just stunning. I mean, holy crap. She's, she may well be the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Um, she's an, she's an Instagram model and she is just about perfect, in my opinion. Um, there are a couple others. I mean, there's, uh, uh, Regina Kova. She's uh, also an Instagram model. Looks uncannily like Angelina Jolie. I 
actually, a young Angelina Jolie, astonishingly similar. Uh, who else? You know, you name it. I mean, just just go onto Instagram and find whichever model strikes your fancy, and then imagine building a robot that looks like that, and is yours. Why would you want a human woman in that case? Not only that, but imagine what happens when you have a robot that is capable of interacting with you like a woman and always laughs at your terrible jokes and is always interested in everything that you're interested in and, um, you know, is happy to be with you no matter how stubborn you are or how difficult you are to be with or how much of a pain in the ass you are or whatever. Why would you want a woman? Now, the religious groups will say, Christians will say, that's an abomination. And it is an abomination. You're right. I'm not defending it. I'm just saying, imagine what's going to happen. That's the point that Gary L. M. Martin tries to make in his book. This is what's going to happen. This is, this is how things will play out. Um, now imagine if those robots potentially could become self-aware and sentient. What happens then? Uh, the scenario presented in the book is not one of Skynet killing us all. That doesn't happen because the three laws of robotics followed by the zeroth law um, kind of make it impossible for robots to inflict true harm upon people. But um, imagine if you had robots that could feel, genuinely could feel for themselves, that were human in all but construction. And again, this, this is the subject of a of an Asimov novel called Bicentennial Man. Is it Asimov or Arthur C. Clarke? Let me check that, actually. Uh, Bicentennial Man. I'm pretty sure it was Asimov. Uh, no, Bicentennial... Bicentennial... Bicentennial Man. Bicentennial Man... Yeah, it's uh, by Asimov uh, in the Robot series. It's a novelette. Um, if you've ever seen the movie by Robin Williams, it's pretty good. Um, I remember it from ages ago. Basically, it's a robot who lives to the age of like 200 and dies on his 200th birthday. But, uh, you know, he's finally recognized as human. Um, but these are robots who would never die. These are immortals. These are human and yet not human. The possibilities there are endless and in some cases terrifying. Imagine what will happen in a world where humans simply lose the interest in being human. What happens then? What do you do with humanity? What would be the point of trying to be human in an environment like that? It wouldn't make sense. There would not be any use to being human. And the human race, the human race as we understand it, would simply cease to exist. We wouldn't be needed anymore. We would have created an environment in which our pursuit of hedonistic pleasure will have destroyed us. And that's the most likely outcome, in my opinion, of sex robots, of these creatures that we created to fill a void, I think inevitably will come to control us and supplant us. 
And I don't think they're a good idea. I really don't. Now, I'm saying this as somebody who <clears throat> has dated Russian women. You know, I've, I've, I've had relationships with them. Uh, or relationships with Slavic women, not necessarily Russian, and relationships plural, yes. Um, and it's not fun and games. It's really not. I mean, these are these are difficult women to 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 spend time with. They are challenging. They are tough. They are demanding. They are they are materialistic. Uh, you know, it's the, let's not let's not make any bones about this. Russian Slavic women are very materialistic. They are. The, the, the Slavic gold digger stereotype exists for a reason. It exists because these women come from cultures that have seen tremendous hardship and deprivation. And as such, they need and want physical guarantees in the form of gifts and jewelry that they can then rely upon if things turn bad. Because they've seen enough bad shit in their lives to understand the, the value of a security blanket. Okay. They know that in a society that goes to hell, the women and the children are worst affected. They don't get, they don't get hurt first, but they get hurt worst. Okay? The men, they'll muddle through, but the women and children who depend on them will not make it without strong men. And when you have a society crumbling because of weak men, or crumbling because of external pressures, the women and children who depend on their men to protect them won't have them anymore. And they'll be the first hurt. They'll be the first to truly experience the... Well, no, not the first to hurt. They'll be, they'll be the worst to get hurt. The men will be the first to get hurt, but the women and children will be the worst affected. As I said before. And it's... That's something that Slavic societies have been through many times. I mean, just look at what happened in the last, what, 40 years. 1989, communism, or, well, you know, 1991, communism basically collapsed. And the whole of the Soviet Union imploded. I mean, that was, it was a slow death followed by, uh, a slow dying process followed by a very, very abrupt and sudden death. And, you know, communism had to die. I mean, I'm, I, I'm saying this for the record. As far as I am concerned, self-declared communists should be shot on sight as a form of national preemptive self-defense because they're so bloody dangerous. I genuinely think communists are so dangerous to the rest of society, they really should be dealt with through summary execution. And I'm not lying about that. They are that scary. I mean, that's how much damage communism has done to the rest of the world at this point. Um, you know, you may find that appalling until you realize Communism is responsible for the deaths of over a hundred million people. And that's just communism. I mean, Islam is much worse. Um, the, the impact of statist policies is much worse still. You know, so we're not talking about small numbers of people dying, but communists are in a special class of their own, in my opinion. So when I say that, you know, Slavic women are difficult. There's a reason why they're difficult. Now imagine all the good things about Slavic women, and there are so many good things about them, I can't even, you know, begin to list them all down. Imagine all of the wonderful things about Slavic women without all the terrible things. 
imagine a woman like that in your life and you've got pretty much the perfect selling point. I mean, this is going to be a male-dominated product that every man in his fever dreams is going to want. And the moment you get the price down to below a certain level, say below $3,000, which it already is, by the way, you can get like the real dolls. Um, I remember seeing them. I haven't gone there myself, um, but enough articles have been written about them through like Return of Kings and Kyle Trouble's site and my site as well, where people have written about them and other people have written about people writing about them. And we've seen enough of this stuff around, like the when when Kyle and I did our, our joint podcast together, he actually went and looked them up while while I was speaking. It was like, yeah, the price is down below, I think, $1,000 or whatever that the equivalent is in Swedish krona. Um, that's what we're looking at right now. We're looking at a world in which these sorts of machines are available at the sort of price that put them within the reach of the average man. What is that going to do to male-female relations? Well, women are going to lose all of their power. It's going to be the greatest transformation of male-female dynamics in human history. Because men just aren't going to need women anymore. And the moment women lose the protection of men, the whole of society collapses. That's that's it. That's, it's done. You stick a fork in it. It's over. And the moment women no longer need men is the moment that a society loses confidence in itself, loses its ability to sustain itself, to protect itself, to renew itself. So when you read this book, and it is a good book, I highly recommend it. Just you know, It's fun to read. It's, it's a good, fun read. But when you read this book, keep that in mind. This is a glimpse into a very possible, very likely future. And it's not a pretty one. It's one that you need to be guarding against because come what may, a real woman with all of her problems and faults and foibles and issues and insanities and neuroses and insecurities and temper tantrums and just general ridiculousness is always going to be better than machine. No matter how beautiful that machine looks, no matter how amazing and how sleek and how functional and how sexy and how pleasurable it is to be with, it's still just a machine. The moment it develops sentience, it no longer depends upon you. And the moment it can replace you, well, why do we need people then? What do we do with humanity at that point? The answers are not good ones. So we as a society need to be, or a, a species, need to be incredibly careful about how far we want to go with some of these experiments. And I fear that we're not paying enough attention right now to where those experiments are going. That's it for this episode of Didactic Mind. We're uh, just about out of time, almost at the one hour mark. So uh, thank you, as always, for listening in. Thank you for your continued support. Uh, make sure, as I said earlier, to get yourself a copy of VPN. Make sure you get Surfshark uh, and subscribe to it and uh, make sure you're registered um, for a VPN. Uh, the link will be in the description box. Make sure that you like, share, comment, and subscribe, please. And, uh, you know, be, uh, make sure that uh, you, you, you keep up with all the new content that's coming. 
And uh, as always, many thanks for your continued support and patronage. It's always wonderful to interact with my readers and subscribers. Uh, shoot me an email, uh, domainquery at didacticmind.com. This has been Didactic Mind, episode 67, The Robots of Dawn, and I am Didact, signing off. <laughs>